Welcome to the Break of Dawn Cafe. This is Nerds in the Word, Bible podcast. I'm Dan. He continues to be Dan. All day, every day. All day, at all times. Although I wish I could be Josh. It must be pretty awesome to be Josh. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I'm not going to lie. Hey, um, it's St. Patrick's Day. Did the did the leprechaun visit your house this morning? No. I yeah. Every day or every year now, my kids set a trap for the leprechaun, and he drops um, chocolate coins and his green hat mm. and a pair of shoes and uh, and stuff for them. Well, there was a letter in my house today asking for a throwdown. And the throwdown was caber tossing. You know, caber tossing at all. It must. It must be the leprechaun. You know, <laughs> challenging me to a mono v mon, a man versus man caber tossing challenge. Well, let me tell you, I, Josh McDonald, son of Angus McDonald, son of Angus McDonald, son of Duncan McDonald, know what caber tossing is. <laughs> oh, are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> my dad, my dad, my dad actually did ancestry.com, and I was like, Dad, really? Wow, Angus McDonald, really? <laughs> You gonna find Paris in there? What are you looking for? Anyway, hi Dad. <laughs> hi, one third of our viewership. Hi, Dan's dad. That's everyone. Anyway. <laughs> so, question for you. Yes. Um, have you ever thought that the second coming Dude. was going was happening Dude. or had happened? Had happened. I thought I, as a teenager, I thought I missed it on a regular basis. Regular, so it, it's always it was always the worst timing too. So like I I grew up like classic Wisconsin son. Like I grew up hunting, and my dad mm. would take me into the woods all the time, and he'd throw me up in a tree and be like, "I'll be back in four hours when the sun comes down. Don't worry." And so obviously, fourteen year old, I here's your gun. It was a bow and arrow. Oh, okay, it's a bow and arrow. All right. So, yeah. uh, but all the time. Like, the sun would set, and my dad wouldn't be there. He'd taken his time doing something, who knows what. And I thought, oh, my goodness. The second coming happened. My dad has been raptured. I am alone in the dark in the middle of the north woods of Wisconsin. I have no idea how to get home. I don't, a tree. I don't know how to drive a car. Like, I don't know. Like, I am just, I, this is it. This is this is how my life ends. <coughs> I starved to death in northern Wisconsin. This is how it goes down. This is, and honestly... This was a weekend basis. Like every weekend, I thought to myself, "This is it. He's late. He's going to leave me." So, welcome a, to my nightmares. In a tree. In, in a the tree. Dark. In the dark. <laughs> I can't drive a car. I don't know where the car keys are. I can't walk back to the cabin. I've got to live on a handful of gorp. <laughs> Correct. Yes. <laughs> that. That. Is, wow. I need to survive on my hunting skill, which is not great. Yeah. No. No, no. That is one of the, the one of the more Wisconsin mm-hmm. versions of this that I've heard. How about you, Josh? Have you ever well, thought the second coming happened? I on on some on some regular basis, mm-hmm. yes, I did. Um I was at the beach one time and see this is my East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> I was at the beach in Virginia and I was sitting with a bunch of friends and the light was coming from the city and I couldn't see you know, I I didn't know where the light was coming, mm-hmm. I didn't know where the moon was. Mm-hmm. And the clouds parted, and this white triangle appeared out over the ocean. And I was like, wow! <laughs> there he is! <laughs> um, and I, I wrote, a, I wrote a, um, a three-page free verse poem about it. 
Because I was you about 19. To, do you have it? I was, yeah, I'm going to read it right now. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I sent it to a magazine and I got, I got it. I got the manuscript back with somebody had written too long, too downbeat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I submitted to magazines regularly. Yes. Before I knew much about writing. Mm. Obviously, um, but I have this friend who's who's a um, who's a friend of the he's the friend of the show. Um, hi, Scott. Um, <laughs> That's and, our third person. Yes. There you go. Yep. Hi, Dad. Hi, Mom. Hi. Hi, Dad. Dad's dad. And hi, Scott. Um, Scott. Um, so he used to he used to, when he came home like from the bus stop. This is Florida, mm -hmm. so hot fundamentalism. Everything's hot in Florida, mm -hmm. even the faith. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, he would come home to an empty house, and he was convinced that his parents had been raptured. So he had a, a short list of people in his head that he would call who he knew were really good Christians <laughs> to see if they were home. <laughs> so he would call it, and they'd be like, hello! And he'd be like, hang up. Yes! Like, yes! Good. Still here. All right. Good. Here we go. Um, all right. Let's go watch Chippendale Rescue Rangers. <laughs> yeah. DuckTales, please, Josh. DuckTales. <laughs> Come on, Tailspin, gummy bears, bouncing here and there and everywhere. Anyway. Dude, more about this poem. Um, you don't really have it, do you? You bait and switched me. I bait and switched you. All right, Just, all right you should. Luke 21. I, I, I am going to find this poem and read it to you at some point in time. If you find it, please destroy it. Um, and it will say too long and too down beyond. <laughs> so, um, which is accurate. Um, so, I'm going to read Luke 21. I mean, what we have is... We often think it's the second coming. We're mm -hmm. often mistaken, mm -hmm. and Luke twenty-one is kind of, kind of that kind of version of of events. So, Luke twenty-one verse twenty. Uh, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be a great distress upon the earth and wrath against its people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming in the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Luke 21, verses 20 through 28. So this is about the second coming, right, Dan? Maybe. Maybe, Josh. Maybe. Maybe. What do you, what's your take, Josh? What do you think? Um, my take is that this, off the top of my head... Could be about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. I, I think there is a high likelihood that you are correct, Josh. What happened? In 70 AD, uh, there was a watershed moment in Jewish history. And so we all know 586 or 587, depending how you date it, was the first destruction of the temple by Babylon. And that, that changed fundamentally the trajectory of Judaism. Uh, after that temple was torn down, it was rebuilt in the 4th century or 5th century. Um, and people thought the temple would, would last, last forever. And it didn't. In 70 AD, Rome came 
and razed Jerusalem to the ground. Uh, Judea had been a perpetual thorn in Rome's side, and they finally wanted to make an end of it. Enough is enough. And when the temple was destroyed, it, it was a, uh, again, a, it was a watershed moment where you see the transition from Second Temple Judaism to what's called Rabbinic Judaism, where Judaism as a whole is now coping with the fact that they can't actually do most of what the Torah tells them to do because so much of it was based on the sacrificial system. And the Holy of Holies is gone. The Holy of Holies is gone. Uh, the temple is gone. Uh, you know, uh, proper worship as outlined in Deuteronomy is gone. And so suddenly, uh, yeah, uh, to be a, a first century Jew post 70 AD is to learn how to cope with the destruction of the temple and learn what it means to be a faithful follower of uh, God, despite the fact that there's no longer a temple, which is the center of Old Testament theology. You don't have an Israel without a temple. Right? They, they go hand in hand. And so it was a terrifying experience to see the temple destroyed, but it's also not without, without, without parallel. And so in, in, in the same way that you know, Jesus predicted the, the destruction of the temple, and he did, so too uh, did like, Ezekiel give Jesus theological framework for understanding what it looks like and, and why God might abandon his temple. Um, you know, Jesus, again, Jesus wasn't without parallel in the ancient world as a prophet prophesying against the temple for what it had, had become. And so, uh, you know, as Tom Wright says, that when Jesus came into the temple and cleared it, it was one of these, uh, one of these Western moments where, like, there's a, a showdown between Jesus and, and the temple. And, you know, yeah, I mean, so, like, <laughs> The town is too small for both of them to be there at the same time. Something has got to give. And Jesus is in many ways talking about himself. And again, this is throughout all the Gospels, including John. But he's talking about himself in a way that is usurping the, the, the temple. All of the functions that the temple used to fulfill, Jesus speaks of himself in the same way. Whether it's speaking of himself in terms of worship. So that's... Let's say that the Samaritan woman in John 4, like I tell you the truth, you know, you Samaritans worship on this mountain, we Jews worship on this mountain, but the time is coming where we're not going to worship on either of these mountains. Well, what does that mean, Jesus? How can you worship God in a place that isn't the temple? Right. Well, Jesus is talking about those who worship in spirit and in truth, those who worship in the pattern of Jesus. He is, he is, he is, where Jesus is, the temple presence is, which means worship can happen. Uh, he's forgiving sins, like who but God can forgive sins and where but in the temple. That's what the temple is for. Correct. Yeah. Jesus is now a walking temple presence, and he wants to give it away. There's a, a wonderful book by a guy named Craig Blomberg called Contagious Holiness. And basically his argument is that not only is Jesus the temple presence, but as well he's, he's giving the temple presence away. And so his holiness is becoming contagious. And so in the, in the way that Jesus is the capital T temple presence, as he touches people and heals people and restores people, they are now walking, talking, small T temple presences that now get to give it away. And it becomes this like reverberation. But G Jesus, when he predicted the destruction of the temple, he was very much saying that a new chapter in God's history is coming. 
and that the people of God are going to relate to God in a fundamentally different way, and that we don't need the temple anymore. And that's not to say the temple was a horrible idea or a bad thing. It was a good thing, but it was a, uh, a signpost pointing to a deeper reality of God's relationship with his people. He doesn't, he, uh, yeah, he doesn't simply want people who have to go to Jerusalem to worship. He wants those who worship in spirit and in truth. The temple present now resides in the hearts of all those who worship, who worship God through the Messiah. And so, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, there was, again, so while there were theological categories for understanding why Jesus said what he said, like vis-a-vis Ezekiel, for instance, or Jeremiah, um, there was, there was reason why no one understood what he was saying, because it was still unthinkable to a first century Jew that God would abandon such a central place in Jewish worship. Why, why, why would God abandon something that was so good and so central to Jewish identity? That doesn't, that, 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 that didn't comport, that didn't communicate to any first century Jew. And so when, when Jesus foretells of the destruction of Jerusalem in Luke 21, like they don't, they don't get the lesson. Like the Jews don't get the lesson of the fig tree. They don't get the lesson or the symbolic act of Jesus clearing the temple. All of that was blasphemy to them because like the Messiah, whoever he would be, certainly wouldn't eradicate the temple. He would bolster the temple. So mm-hmm. Jesus was just a, a non-sequitur to them. And Jesus uses, employs in this, the language of the apocalyptic. Signs in the heavens, signs in the earth, and the apocalyptic being um, essentially talking more about the, the way something feels rather than exactly what's going to happen. Oh yeah, so like the, the the moon becoming blood, the earth shaking, right. stars from heaven falling, all of that had to do with political power structures being shaken to their core. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we could do a deep dive on that. I'd love to do a deep dive on that. I don't have specific verses in mind that actually communicate the fact that those are well. Why that's not? Meta- that's metaphorical <laughs> language, but um, it's it was it was it was common. You could say I, I'm thinking someplace in Amos, but it, it, it was it was a, a common. Uh, piece of rhetoric, religious rhetoric, to talk about this cataclysmic day of the Lord as mm-hmm. the moon turning to blood, the star, the, the sun going dark, the stars falling. In other words, all of the known order of the world, like the the, the very thing, the, all the things that make our days make sense. It's one of the reasons why no one likes daylight savings time. It's because suddenly the sun has to be reset to a different time. I mean, it's just it's sure. anyway. Sorry. Sure. Sorry, viewers. I don't like daylight savings time. It's tough. But uh, like, yeah. like in 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 a first century thinking, when the, when the, the the sun turns to darkness and the moon turns to blood and the stars fall, that's 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 like language where you're tipping your hat to the fact that all of the ordering structures of the world are deconstructed because something else is going to be reconstructed in its place. And then we get into that here, like in, in verse 27, he says, you'll see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Um, and that being uh, that reference to Daniel 7. Where, 7, 13 in specific. Let me read it. Yeah, go ahead. And so Daniel 7 says this, I saw a night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven. And this is important. So ask yourself the question as I'm reading this. What, where is the Son of Man go, uh, arriving at? Is he arriving at in, in heaven or is he arriving on earth? 
And this mm-hmm. is so important because the word, so like you'll see the Son of Man coming. Well, where is he coming to? Is he going to be arriving in earth or is he going to be arriving in heaven? So ask that question as I read Daniel 7. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. Now, is he coming? Is, is, is he arriving for the second coming? Well, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So that, that, that language of the Son of Man arriving someplace is not language in Daniel 7 of the Son of Man arriving on earth as the second coming. It's actually the language of the Son of Man arriving in heaven and presenting himself as the one who is the head of all things and has all authority given to him by the Ancient of Days. And so when, when Jesus is riffing in verse 27 of Luke 21, when, he, when he's riffing off of Daniel 7 and he says, and you will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory, that's not the Son of Man coming to earth. Mm-hmm. That is the Son of Man coming and presenting himself before the Ancient of Days. Now, may I say, Josh, mm-hmm. I believe in the second coming. It's going to happen. Same season. Like, yeah. So like, one of the, re- like, like the earliest church liturgy or the earliest church prayer was an Aramaic phrase, Mar Anatha, come Lord. Like this is like, it's always been the hope of the church that Jesus is going to come and restore all things. And so we're not deconstructing the second coming. The second coming is going to happen. It's where our ultimate hope is. Mm -hmm. What we're saying is that Luke 21 isn't talking about the second coming. Right. And it's parallels in the other synoptics. Correct. Correct. What, what, what it's talking about is the, 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 the coming of Jesus, the presentation of Jesus before the throne of God in heaven to be the one who has all authority. And the reason you know he has all authority is because his prediction of the destruction of the temple came true. And that's why he's saying that in 70 AD, what, Jesus didn't predict that it would happen in 70 AD. He just ha- he predicted that it would happen within a generation, and it uh-huh. did. And so when, when that prophecy comes true, like, G- Jesus, it's, it's in a way Jesus asserting his authority over the temple. His predictive prophecy was true. The temple was destroyed and it was replaced by something greater, namely Jesus himself. Jesus himself. Yeah. Well, and then you have, you know, uh, Jesus' parallel in Matthew 20, or parable in Matthew 21, the parable of the tenants. The tenants that God sent, which are where God sent the workers, mm-hmm. and God essentially is sending the prophets, sending the prophets, sending the prophets. Mm-hmm. I will send him my son. They yeah. will listen to my son. Yeah. And they killed him. Yeah. And the temple was no longer serving a purpose. They had killed the sun. Yeah. The temple had had exhausted what it was there for. Yeah. And therefore then the temple is destroyed. Yeah, which is why in in, in, in it's, it's so it's really interesting when Jesus talks about um, the destruction of the temple in Matthew and I'm forgetting off the top of my head what one it is. I really want to say it's it's Matthew 25, 24, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, no one knows the day or the hour and so it's matthew 24 um and jesus says this um for as in those days before the flood when they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage until the day when noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all the way so it will be at the coming of the son of man now again where's the coming of the son of man is it his return to earth or is it his presentation before the ancient of days we always have to ask that question mm-hmm. wait what when, when it talks about the coming of the Son of Man, is he coming before, again, the, 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 the throne in heaven, the authority of, of heaven, mm-hmm. God, or is he coming back to earth? That's left ambiguous, and mm-hmm. the text has to tell us. So he says, then two men will be in one field, one will be taken and one will be left. Well, 
in verse 40 there, is Jesus talking about the rapture, i.e. one being taken away? Or is Jesus, okay, so he's using the metaphor of the flood. In this sense, to be taken away is not a good thing. To be taken away is to be drowned by the waters, and to be left is a good thing. And so the hope here in verse 40, if you're interpreting the way Jesus speaks about this, like, uh, yeah, his, his being presented before the Father, if you, if you take it literally here and use the analogy of Noah and the flood, mm-hmm. it's not the person who's taken who's safe. It's the person who's left who is safe. He is that that is in, in the same way that Noah was left and he was kept safe in the ark. Mm-hmm. And so when when Jesus is talking about this this language of the Son of Man coming to earth, or not coming to earth, arriving someplace, we always have to remember this is about this is this is Daniel's seven language, and it's always about the Son of Man arriving before the ancient of days. Now again, this is not to say that Jesus didn't believe in the second coming. Of course he did. Read Acts 1. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not to say that we don't believe in the second coming. Listen, like we do. It's it's where our hope is. Like the second coming is is all. I mean, it, it's it's Psalm ninety eight. Like it's the, the 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 field singing for joy for God is going to come to judge the world with justice and righteousness, and He's going to restore all things. This is the hope of every Christian. It's just that when Jesus is speaking about it in Matthew twenty four or Luke twenty one, He's not talking about the rapture there. What he's talking about is the destruction of the temple. And the way we know that is simply by understanding the Bible in its own context. And so uh, for those who are having a, maybe a little bit of a panic attack, like I did as a 14-year-old in the tree, it's, it's going to be okay. Jesus is going to come again, and he's going to restore the world. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. But when, he's, when, when you read Luke 21, read, think about the destruction of the temple. And Jesus' authority not only to predict the destruction of the temple— but also his authority to replace the temple in himself. He is now the new temple presence, and the worshipers of God who worship in spirit and truth don't now worship at the temple. They, they, they worship through the Messiah who gives the Holy Spirit and allows his worshipers to, to worship wherever, they, wherever they're found throughout the world. And this is the beautiful community of Christ. Pax Cheers.